You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. Christmas series called Behold this year, and uh, I want to start and talk about the wonder of Christmas as we begin. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that growing up, my parents, we went to the movies every Saturday night. My dad had no hobbies outside of his car business uh, during the week and the movies. And so I tell people jokingly, not really, that I've seen almost every movie from 1986 until the year 2000, uh, which is why I don't like to go to the movies today, unfortunate for my children. But I love Christmas movies, like of all the movies. Anybody with me? I love Christmas movies, like my favorites, Die Hard. I mean, that's got to be a Christmas movie, right? It's one of my favorites. Uh, (laughs) Elf is a big favorite in the Galaty home. But every year we have to watch together National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation on the Family Channel, fast-forwarding through one inappropriate part. If you know, then you know, right? Rigged this year's like, well, when am I going to get to watch it? I'm old enough. Not in this home while we're here. You watch in your home one day. But uh, one of the movie series I used to love to watch growing up was Die Hard. Remember Die Hard? I mean, that... I mean, not Die Hard. (laughs) I did like Die Hard. Back to the Future. I did like Die Hard. Back to the Future. Anybody remember Back to the Future, that that series of movies? Well, if you go back to Back to the Future 2, you may remember the scene where older Biff gets his hands on the Gray's Sporting Almanac. You remember this? And he takes it with him back in time to 1955 and starts betting for the next 50 years on all the sporting events so he becomes a millionaire. You, You remember this? And I thought about that and I thought, how cool would it be to be able to predict the future? Now, one of the predictions in there, which is just a fun fact, was that the Chicago Cubs would win the World Series in what year? Movie trivia. Anybody remember this? 2015. They predicted this back in the 90s. They missed it, and it was a big deal because it was, they hadn't won it since 1908, so that was a big deal. They actually won it one year off in 2016. Who knew, right? They may never win it again, but, now I'm like, hey, Cubs fans in here? Bless your heart. But anyway, I'm just, I'm just, but anyway, I mean, you think about predictions. Those are pretty cool to do in the real world. Unlike predictions in the world, when God makes a prediction in the Bible, it will always come to pass, always. I mean, that's how God works. And what we're gonna see today is we're gonna meet a man named Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament that always made predictions. And what he's gonna do is look through a telescope 700 years into the future and tell us about the coming Messiah, which the people were waiting for for a long time. Now, the Messiah is an interesting word. It's the word that means anointed one, but it's also the word that means a man who will come or or a ruler who will come to bring peace and rest and shalom for the nation. So they were waiting for him. If you have a Bible, I wanna show it to you. Isaiah chapter nine is where we'll be today. Isaiah chapter nine in the Old Testament. Isaiah is one of the prophets. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give you a a little running start on Isaiah 9. Up to this point, Isaiah's been talking about how the people of God, the chosen nation, his beloved uh, people, have turned their backs on God. 
After all that God's done for them, after all God's redeemed them from, they still turn their back on God. And because of that, they're gonna experience turmoil, which they already have, and destruction and desolation. They're gonna be, in a sense, walking in darkness, which is how the verse begins in chapter two. So if you're at Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, you can say word, we like to say word at Long Hollow. The word of the Lord. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, basically at payday, <laughs> pretty exciting. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders or on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So this is a pretty good day, God said. These are days to look ahead to. This is a joyous time coming. So the natural question becomes, how is this gonna happen, God? And Isaiah would say, I'm glad you asked, because he's gonna tell us in verse six, this is exactly how it's gonna happen. And just to prepare you, it's not what we're expecting. We're expecting him to say, and God will come on a white horse from the sky with a sword in hand destroying the enemies. It's not what he says, watch what he says. For a child, <laughs> a child will be born, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. I wanna give you four titles about the Messiah, Jesus, that Isaiah predicted in the Old Testament. And I wanna take them out of order. And you'll see why in a minute. The first thing we see is that Isaiah says, Jesus the Messiah will be a wonderful counselor. Right, right at the end of your if you're taking notes, wonderful counselor. Now the word wonderful is another way to say full of wonder or miraculous. And we know from the gospels, Jesus came with signs and wonders. But the word counselor is interesting. It shows us that someone is coming who will give us advice, supernatural advice, advice in a sense that we need. Now, Jesus is not just called the wonderful counselor, but the Holy Spirit, he says, is a what? Remember this? One of his titles is... Audience participation. Counselor, right, right, counselor. And we see this from John chapter 14, verse 26. Watch this. John 14, verse 26 says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that you have heard. Have you ever gone to a counselor before? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but just th think about it. You ever gone to a counselor before? Have you ever sought someone for advice, maybe a therapist to kind of look in your life? I've gone to counseling for two decades now since I've become a believer. Uh, and, and I tell people, and still to this day, I, I go uh, to a counselor on and off. And, and the reason is, I tell people, you don't, go, you don't go to a counselor when you're weak, you go to a counselor because you're smart. 
Why? Because you and I have the inability to see the blind spots in our life which have the potential to destroy it. And so we need someone who's trained outside of ourselves to kind of see these things. You don't go to a counselor when you're in the midst of the storm, you go to prevent the storm, amen? And so a counselor is beneficial. And if, if you, you need that to go over the edge, because you're like, I'm not gonna see a counselor, I'm a man, I don't go to a counselor. You probably need to go to a counselor, okay? You probably would need some help, right? I mean, I know for me it has. A counselor helps in a marriage, it helps in a relationship, a counselor helps for personal growth. But imagine if you set aside time and you book an appointment with a counselor, but you never show up for the appointment. I mean, that'd be foolish, right? Or better yet, if you had access to the best counselor in the world, let's say, but you never go to the appointment, or if you even go to the appointment, you don't listen to the advice and apply it to your life. Well, the Bible says, coming close, that the Holy Spirit's job is to counsel us. That's his job. He's gonna teach us and guide us and direct us if we seek it out from him. Now, here's the question personally. When was the last time you consulted with him? When was the last time you set aside time to hear his voice? When was the last time you listened long enough? When was the last time you applied what he told you? I'm not talking about an audible voice, I'm talking about an internal nudge, maybe a leading, maybe an emotional direction, maybe a word from the word. So people ask naturally, well, how do I know the voice of the Holy Spirit? How can I discern if God is leading me? I'll tell you a couple ways and you can kind of tease this out for yourself, but you'll see the, the, the progression. Whenever you're led to forgive someone you've wronged, you can probably bet that's the Holy Spirit, right? Like if you feel led to call someone and apologize, hey, I know I said, that's probably the Holy Spirit. Whenever you're out uh, in the community at a gas station and you just feel led, man, I need to share Christ with the person behind the counter. I need to share my testimony with the barista at the coffee shop. I would go ahead and bet that's the Holy Spirit, right? And what's cool about the Holy Spirit is he determines how you're obedient in the small things to see if he can entrust you with greater things to obey. That's how, that's how he works. So if he can trust you to listen in small things, then he will entrust you with greater things to walk by faith. For example, if you ever feel the leading to give money financially to the church or a ministry, that's probably the Holy Spirit. I could go ahead on a limb and say it. Why? Because you and I in our flesh never feel led to do that. So that's the Lord leading us. Write this down. This is a great way to think about the Holy Spirit. That which is essential never imposes. That in this world, which is non-essential, always imposes. Now that's something to meditate on, think about this. That in life, which is essential, never imposes himself or herself or itself. That which is not essential always imposes, meaning that the Holy Spirit is not going to demand your attention. He's not gonna do it. In fact, he's gonna wait for you to welcome him in. He's gonna wait for you to sit long enough and listen long enough to see if he's speaking. And the Bible says he speaks with a still, small voice. In Hebrew, that's translated, you ready for this? Whisper. Have you bent your ear to the accent of the whisper of the Holy Spirit? Well, let me ask you this. Have you even tried? Have you even tried to set aside time and make a specific place to create a sacred space for that 
that the Lord would speak into your life. The problem is not God's not speaking. The problem for us as Christians is many of us are not listening. So the Bible says, what a gift from Jesus. Jesus is a wonderful counselor and it's good for us to listen and obey him. Number two, not only is he a wonderful counselor, he's an everlasting father, the Bible says. You see it in the text. Now, this word father is not an uncommon Hebrew word. In fact, uh, it's a very common word. It's the word Abba. For those of us who are going to Israel in March, which is gonna be an awesome time as we go, and prayerfully we'll go in 2024 if you're, if you're interested. But when we go, you're gonna to go to Jerusalem like I did for the first time and the second time and third time. You'd hear this, and this is one of my favorite things, and Candy will tell you, is when we hear the little boys running around yelling, Abba, Abba. It reminds me, that's what Jesus would have said to his daddy. Not only his earthly father, but his heavenly father. It's the word father. But what makes this title set apart is the fact that Isaiah puts everlasting connected to it. And it shows us the preexistence of Jesus to exist before he existed. That's what separates Jesus from everyone else. I mean, John chapter one says that. In the beginning was the what? The word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so it begs the question, how then can a child, Isaiah, be a father? Well, because he existed before he existed. Uh, I remember uh, hearing a, a story from a Russian astronaut, and I, I thought about this, this, ro this role. It's an interesting role uh, before I tell you this, because you think about, uh, before I tell you the story, I wanna, I wanna tell you about the, the father uh, in the Bible. Why would Jesus be called father as a son? It, it doesn't make any sense. He's a son, how's he a father? Well, Jesus is gonna go fulfill this with the disciples. Many times you see Jesus as a fatherly role to the disciples, even the people he heals. He says, son, go and sin no more after he heals them. He says, daughter, to the woman who kind of crawled to me, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Jesus will play this fatherly role to his disciples. We see this over and over again. Uh, I, I want you to think about this role in your life because a lot of you would say, well, I didn't have a father. This is hard for me because I have a father actually right now who's absent or angry or worse, he's abusive. It's just very hard for me to see God as a loving father when I have this caricature of my father who overshadows this kind, compassionate picture of God. Friends, let me remind you, if that is your picture of God, let me remind you, that is not like the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible we serve is a God of love, who welcomes us and invites us into this relationship with him. And he knows all of our shortcomings. This is awesome. And he still accepts us just as we are. Isn't that cool how God works? He's a loving, kind God who is compassionate. He wants the best for you. He works all things together in your life for the good and his glory. That's the kind of God we serve. But that's not all. Uh, Isaiah goes on and says, there's another title for Jesus and that is the Prince of Peace the Prince of Peace. Now, the word peace is something the nation was waiting for. I told you this earlier, they were in turmoil and darkness, and so they were waiting for God to come. Now, what you see about this word peace is, peace is attached to prince. Uh, and it's interesting because every government official at that time, and even today, promises peace, world peace, personal peace. But it wasn't until Jesus coming that we experienced this peace that Jesus offers. The word prince is not a word we use today. I mean, I don't know any princes probably like, well, I do know the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but <laughs> for those 90 
90 kids growing up like me. I mean, that's the only prince I know. But the word prince is a word we see in the Bible, and it's, it's actually a government official. That's all it means. And it shows us that Jesus is not just someone who works in the office of peace. He's actually the delegator of peace. He's the distributor of peace. He's the government official of peace. Now, you may be saying, well, is this peace of the world, like world peace? Because I really don't care about that. No, he's talking deeper than this, coming close. He's talking about personal peace. And this is gonna hit a lot of us right here. Why? Because we're there. See, you may not realize this. You're not fighting a battle on a battlefield with a sword in hand physically. But every single person has this inner battle going on in the mind and the heart and the soul right now. It's a battle for your sanctification. It's a battle for your affections. It's a battle for your attention. It's a battle for eternity. That's really what that's, it's a spiritual battle for where you will spend eternity. And what Augustine said, the early church father, I love this, he said, God gives us the gift of restlessness in life to drive us to him. Now, I don't know you personally, many of you, but I do know me and I do know the state of our country and the world today. And I would say many of us in here would say, man, I'm just restless today, right? I feel like uneasy today. Augustine would say that's a gift from God. In fact, in his book, Confessions, which is a book about his life and coming to Christ, here's what he says. I love this line. You have been made by God, O Lord, or God, you made us for yourselves, O Lord, watch this, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. You have made us, O Lord, and we are restless until we find rest in you. Friends, restlessness desires peace, right? Peace in in our mind, peace in our relationships, peace in our finances, peace in our family, peace in our community, peace in our lives. It doesn't take a lot to, to see that the world is, is in turmoil right now. I mean, just turn on the news and if it's not terrorist activity or school shootings or diseases or global pandemics or death or murder at our doorstep today, you don't have to look far for this. Many of us are wondering like, where is God? Like, is there any hope for peace in the future? And if you're honest today, you're probably overwhelmed at times. Like, like I can get like, like, can it get any worse than this? And a lot of people tell me, you know, it's never been this bad before. I've heard that before. And my response to them is, yeah, probably in America. Maybe in America, it's not been this bad before. But let me remind you, in Jesus's Paul, in Paul's day, America doesn't hold a candle to the persecution they experience. Until one leader like Nero in America starts burning Christians for their faith and lining the crosses on the road to town like Nero did with Christians, we don't have that kind of persecution. I'm not minimizing today, but I just want to contextualize it. But it also doesn't compare to, and it fades in comparison, to Revelation during the tribulation when it will be infinitely worse toward the end. Now again, I'm not minimizing what's happening today, but I want to show you what Isaiah is saying. It's way bigger than world peace. What he's talking about is interior peace, the interior peace of your life. And one of the ways, and I see this a lot in people, one of the ways that you are restless is because of unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. See, what sin does is it separates you from an intimate relationship with God. And that's both for Christian and non-Christian. 
Because as a Christian, you can say, I know the Lord Jesus, but I'm living in sin. And so you don't have the intimacy, the kind of sweet fellowship you could have with God if you live in sin. And right now, some of you are there, right? Why? Because you're saying, I just feel uncertain about life. I'm uncomfortable. Uh, I'm uneasy about life. Let me put a finger on the problem, maybe. Maybe it's your daily or hourly or weekly looking at pornography. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's drunkenness or lying or cheating or stealing. Maybe it's an unconfessed sin that happened in the past that's still kind of plaguing you today. See, the Bible is clear. If we confess our sin, God will cover it with the blood of his son. He will conceal it. If we confess it, he conceals it. But if we hide our sin or conceal our sin, the Bible is clear, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, God will reveal our sin to the world. Pretty sobering. And so let me just challenge you today. If you have, look at me, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, before you can experience healing, you need to confess that to God. So we have this wonderful picture of peace that comes from the pinch of feet. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a, he's a um, mighty God. Now I saved this one for last, which is interesting that, that I would put this one last, but this is the one that I've marinated on and meditated on all week. And this is, I think, what makes Christmas so amazing. Now follow me for a moment. What makes Christmas so amazing is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And that's just a big word that means God becomes man. That the created becomes the, or the creator becomes the created. Jesus Christ enters humanity, wraps himself in human flesh, and comes to the earth on a rescue mission. I heard years ago, this was telling you, a Russian astronaut who didn't believe in God, and he went out to space, and he came back, and they said, what did you find? And he said, I'll tell you something I didn't find, and that was God didn't find God in space. And at the time, the theologian and author C.S. Lewis commented on his comment, which is worth noting here. I love this comment from Lewis. He says, finding God in space would be like Hamlet climbing in the attic and reporting that he had not found Shakespeare. It's Lewis-esque, right? I mean, it's something Lewis could say. So in that context, we are Hamlet, and then God is Shakespeare. And what it shows that in that context, the author of the story, the play, exists outside of the play or the story. And the only reason we're able to know the author of the story is if he discloses or shares with us insights about himself. Now, this obviously breaks down with the illustration of God. Why? Because God doesn't exist outside the play. You're going to love this. Christmas shows us that God actually writes himself in the story. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God becomes part of the drama. God becomes a created being in the story of creation that he created. I want you to wrap your mind around that. And it's not just a play or a drama, it's our life, right? That's real. He becomes part of our story. He becomes part of our existence. He becomes part of our essence. Isn't it cool we serve a God that instead of leading from a distance, actually becomes one of us. Now, some of you may say, well, God feels distant from me right now. God doesn't feel near to me right now. 
Anybody feel, you don't have to raise a hand, but just think, anybody feel overwhelmed right now? Maybe feel like you missed the presence of God? It's very easy for us to think that God is out there and we are down here, but I think that's the beautiful reminder of the incarnation. We took the boys, uh, I think two weeks ago, to go see The Chosen. Anybody, anybody saw The Chosen in the theaters? If you don't know what The Chosen, we had a guy in our D group this week, we're like, you know what The Chosen is? I'm like, no, bro, you're not even saved. Like what? <laughs> we had a war about his salvation. I'm like, yeah, is he The Chosen yet? He, no. No, he's like, no. I'm like, you've got to see The Chosen if you had seen it. And basically what The Chosen is, and this is not like B-rated, no offense, Christian, bad acting kind of movie here, okay? Which we've seen, bless their heart. We've seen those. That's not this. This is like quality Hollywood type. And, and what we love about, I know Candy and I would say this, what we love about The Chosen is it's basically taking the gospel messages we've read our whole life and it brings them to life. And it reminds us of something I wanna remind you of, that Jesus Christ is not some fictitious fable told by men of old to make us feel good about ourselves. Jesus was a real man living in a real city. He had real friends and real followers. He suffered real pain. He went to a real cross, buried in a real grave, and he rose from the dead in a real resurrected body. He's not some utilitarian genie or some Santa Claus-esque character that we call upon when we need. No, he's a real man that became man for us. Now, that just messed us up even more. Why? Because I thought you said he was a mighty God. And how can Jesus be all man, 100% man, and 100% God at the same time? And you're probably saying, well, Robbie, I just don't understand the incarnation. And I would say, good. You shouldn't, right? I mean, who in the world can understand that? And I think the reason God shows us that is to give us a bigger picture of who he is. Friends, listen to me. For those skeptics in the room or maybe at home, if you could understand everything about God, he would not be a God you'd want to worship. It should strain our minds as we think about that. Let me just give you some more things to think about. When God became man, think about this, the infinite became finite. The one who is timeless now is hindered by time. The boundless God is bound to a cross. The omnipotent God or the omnipresent God who is everywhere is now held in a tomb. And the challenge for us, and this is the big challenge, the challenge for us in here who are Christians who know the incarnation and hear the incarnation is for us to become satisfied, aware of the transcendence of God or the imminence of God, which is just the presence of God. And at the same time, we are unconcerned about the lack of God's presence in our life. Say that again. It's one thing to celebrate the incarnation, the imminence, the, the transcendence of God on earth, and at the same time, many of us are unconcerned of the lack of God's presence in our life. What, what do you mean? Sadly, some of us have settled for a synthetic, surface-level version of Christianity. And I've said this before, but I, I wanna say it again. You have as much of God in your life as you want. 
And for some of us, we've settled for a miniature version of the magnitude of God. And I'm here to tell you, as you just ponder the, the incarnation, it, could, it should cause us to pause, take a deep breath, and look back at the magnitude of the glory of God, how God would do this for us. You know, 700 years ago, we read about Isaiah talking about this coming Messiah for the nation of Israel, but it wasn't just for them. This Messiah actually was for us today. And some of you may be saying right now, well, well Pastor, I, I, I don't know about other people, but, but I need a counselor today. My, my life is a mess and I need some direction for some things in my life and I need some guidance where I am in life of where I should head. Friend, let me remind you this morning, there is a wonderful counselor that is waiting for you to ask for his advice. And he knows your future better than you know your own past, I promise. And if you ask him, he will see you through whatever you're going through. And you know what his name is? His name is Jesus. Robbie, I'm here today and um, I didn't have a godly dad growing up. In fact, my dad was absent. He, he never protected me, he never comforted me. I, I don't know what it's like to have a, a loving father. Friend, let me assure you today that there is an everlasting father who the Bible says welcomes us into his lap to put his arms around us and stiff arm anything that can harm us or hurt us. His name is Jesus. You may be here today and saying, man, I just don't have any peace. Pastor, I don't, I don't have any assurance that my life is gonna pan out. I, I'm just restless. I, I, my marriage is a mess. My, my job is uncertain. I'm stressed out and tired. I just don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Friend, let me remind you today that we serve a God who not only works in the business of peace, he actually owns the business and he distributes it at will for those who come to him. That's why the Bible says, if you are weary and heavy laden or overwhelmed, come to me, Jesus says, all who are overwhelmed and I will give you rest for your soul. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Jesus never promised an easy life, but he has promised an easy yoke for those who will take it. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's an everlasting father. He's the Prince of Peace and he's a mighty God. Let me ask you, do you need him in your life today? I don't know about you, but I need him in my life. Let me pray for us as we go to the Lord and we're gonna worship through song in just a moment. And I just wanna remind you, the very thing you're looking for right now is found in a person and his name is Jesus. And so if you're unsure of that, or maybe you're saying, Pastor, I need some, I, I need that wonderful counselor in my life. I need the Prince of Peace. I baptized someone in the first service and I asked her what was the Lord doing in your life? And she said, uh, all, everything changed when my nine-year-old son told me, mom, you look unhappy all the time. Why is that? And she realized it was because she was not following Jesus. If I were to ask you that, why are you so miserable? Why are you so down? Why don't you think you ever feel joyful or satisfied or feel? Maybe it's because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. So I wanna pray for us now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray over you.
Before I pray, if, if you're here today and you would acknowledge honestly before God, hey, pastor, that's me. You're speaking directly to me. And as you're just sitting here for just a few moments in silence, you're starting to tune your ear to the voice of God. And if you're open to the Lord and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he sometimes puts his finger right there on that point of the problem. And for some of you, the problem may be you. So I'm gonna ask you right now, would you just confess and acknowledge before the Lord whatever sin is in your life that's hindering you from an intimate relationship with him? Just confess it right now to him. God, I confess, I know you forgive me, I'm gonna confess that to you right now. I acknowledge this has stood in the way of my relationship with you, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids. This consistent, persistent sin, I can't beat it on my own. I need the Prince of Peace and a mighty God to step in. And would you just surrender your life to him? If, if you prayed that prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna call you out. I won't call you forward to embarrass you. I promise I'm just gonna pray over you personally. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are and just say, Pastor, I'll be just acknowledging before God today that I need Jesus. What I'm looking for is not found in a person. It's not found in a relationship. It's not found at the end of an empty beer bottle or a bottle of prescription pills or online activity. No, it's found in a person. Right where you are, would you just, you don't have to say anything. I'm not gonna call you forward. Pastor Robbie, just pray over me. I need Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? Praise God. Anyone else, would you just slip your hand up? Pray where you are. Pastor Robbie, just pray for me. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks for being bold. Anyone else, just pray for Thank you, sister. Anyone else? Pastor, pray over me. Amen. You can put your hands down. Father, we pray right now for those who are acknowledging before you that they need you want you, desire you. God, you allow us to be restless, as Augustine said, in order to find rest in you. And that's the only promise of peace. God, a lot of, a lot of people will promise peace. A lot of rulers will guarantee peace, but only one could grant the shalom peace we need and are looking for. And so I'm praying right now, God, that you would give us all peace in the midst of a storm, that you would be with us, God, as we sit with you and listen and tune our ear toward you. And I pray, God, that we would set aside time this week to hear from you. Let us not be in a rush to go nowhere. Let us create a sacred space by putting aside a specific place and time for you. We love you, Jesus. We ask it in your name.